Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. The Chevy Nova was relatively a success in the American car world. Now, how many know what I'm talking about? See, I got to help you young people out because you're wondering what in the world is a Nova? Is that fair to say? I used to drive one, and some of you might remember uh, it, it, was a, um, uh, it was a manual, and yet it wasn't on the floor, it was up on the column. You know what I'm talking about? It, three on the tree. There you go. I drove that thing all the way from Nebraska to Texas. It was awesome. But I have to help you with this, young people, because uh, Nova's not a constellation, even though it might be, um, that uh, it's really uh, was an amazing car. In fact, here's a picture of 1974. If you can get your hands on it, you should. Come on. It's a pretty car, isn't it? How about this 1967? Now, I have to tell you, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There, there's a few people who just went, oh, 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 okay. <laughs> that, was, that was a Benford moment. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, my favorite, to be honest with you, I'd like to get my hands on it, and some of you feel led of the Spirit, you're pleased by all means, bring it to me, is a 1969. You know it? Um, but, but we need the bigger engine in it, so just keep that in mind. Uh, so... <laughs> But this, this is what I'm talking about. This was a classic car. And yet, it did great in America. So well did it do that, of course, Chevrolet said, we, we've got to go worldwide with this. And so they began their marketing efforts. Their ads were increased to move it south of the border, everything down into South America. They were baffled. They couldn't sell a car. America was eating this thing up. And yet the moment they went south, it began to do nothing. Baffled, if you will, unbelievably baffled. What in the world is going wrong? Globally, nobody seems to want, now they hadn't gone into Europe yet, but globally it seemed no one wanted it south of the border. But it was then that they discovered after all of the money that had been spent, something quite embarrassing. You see, in Spanish, the word Nova means no go. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, no one bothered to ask, to do any research, or to think. Now, let me have a little more fun with this. We'll bring it into more modern day and the young people will feel like they're apart now. <laughs> On the internet, there's a, if you will, a website you can go to. It's called Experts Exchange. Now, what this company does is that you can ask them anything and they can answer it for you and help explain. It's called Experts Exchange. Of course, no one thought through when they went to their website. It's called www expertsexchange.com and uh, (laughs) 
Needless to say, they were getting an incredible amount of phone calls. Um, <laughs> there's another one called Speed of Art. It is an art, if you will, exhibit, but no one thought through their website called www.speedofart.com. Uh, <laughs> See, you know how websites work, right? You just run all the letters together and no one really did their homework. There's a company out there called IP Computer Software, and, uh, which is a wonderful, if you will, company to go to if you're looking for software. Uh, of course, no one thought their, if you will, website through. It's called www.ipanywhere.com. <laughs> <laughs> that one they really messed up because it doesn't make any sense. But one of my favorites is this one. Uh, scrap metal's a big deal. You guys know this. Um, uh, refurbishing, grabbing a hold of all the metal you can find. It's quite valuable. If you know some farmers who have tree lines filled with it, you ought to say, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll get rid of it for you. You just go to this website, www.americanscrapmetal.com. And... Uh, but see, those are moments that no one thought we just make assumptions, do we not? Well, I wanna, I wanna give you a picture and I'm gonna leave it up because this one saddens me. But a church thought they would do something with the cross of Jesus where it says Jesus cares. <laughs> no one thought this one through. What's even sadder is they put it up and still thought it looked pretty good. But the reason I want to put it up, because church, I want you to listen to this very carefully. And it's why we're doing this series. I fear this is exactly what the world sees when they see the church. And we, we've been saying this over and over, and I'm just going to keep going there. Why would anyone who doesn't know Jesus want to come to this church? And the only Jesus they know is the Jesus they see in you all week long. You can sit here and say your name's written in the book, but I'm here to tell you this. If you don't want other names written in the book, your name's not in the book. You do whatever you want with it. There's no way you can get the spirit of Jesus and keep thinking that you can live the way you want. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I ain't coming back. Of course you're not coming back because you want to be in a place that someone will tell you what you want to hear so you can feel good about yourself, which has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you're to die to self and you're to get a new nature. And I fear that the church in our world is instead of a caring place, it's become a scary place. And do you know why? Because we're not thinking through. We're not thinking about what we're really doing. Some of the older crowds trying to get back to what we used to have. I don't want to go back. Because that just means the next generation has to go through what we're going through now. There's nothing in the Bible that says God says we need to go back. My Bible says we need to press on to something that's greater. I don't want to go back. What I want us to do is rethink what we're doing now based upon where we've been. And to really think through what does it mean to be the church of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian 
It's a word that I no longer like. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? That our lives are truly been revolutionized. That somehow they've been more than transformed, they've been transfigured into exactly what God wants it to be. You guys know the old adage, you can finish it with me. If we keep doing what we've always done, we'll always get what? What we've always got. And I think that's what we're doing. We keep thinking that this will work or this will work instead of really thinking through. The Bible says it over and over. One of the greatest gifts God gave us is between our ears. And it requires hard work to ponder, to think. What does it mean? And this is what this series is all about. To reevaluate, to reassess, a time to rethink. Hang on, are you ready for this? A time to rethink through all of the crap that we may have thought the church is or should be so we can be full of a ship. Let me say it again. I actually thought you might laugh when I said that. <laughs> but I'm fearful. Some of you thinking, what did he just say? <laughs> I think we need to get rid of our crap so we can be full of his ship. Now, before you run to the door and think, oh my goodness, our pastor's got a filthy mouth. <laughs> I've seen you drive, you've got a filthy mind. So um, <laughs> if you got your Bibles, I want you to go to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, and I want to talk to you about what I meant when I say full of ship. We got to rethink through all of our crap. Now, when I say that, please, please do not get so personal. You're saying everything I've done in Christ is of crap. No. But I'm talking about corporately, we come together and really begin to ask ourselves, what does God want his church to be? Not what I want it to be. What God knew it to be, not what I've known it to be. Are we willing to risk ourselves enough to empty ourselves to care enough about lost people, spiritually unresolved people, people in our community, maybe your neighbor, maybe a family member, maybe the person you're married to, that they would come to know Jesus, are you willing to risk everything to figure it out with me? Or do you just want to stay comfortable? That when you get to heaven, you get to tell God what his church was supposed to be, because I contend that no one here knows what the church is supposed to be. But I believe if we're willing to seek him, we can begin to get glimpses of it. Because I'm, I'm his wife, but of which he created. And I don't find my substance in what I think. I find my substance in what he knows. That's why Jesus said, it's the truth that will set you free. That truth. The truth of God's word, what does it mean? See, we can play the game all we want. We can, we can hold on. But if you've got this idea, please hear this. If you've got this idea that you think you know what the church is, please let me know. We'll give you a lot of money and you go plant a church. And I don't mean that sarcastically. I mean that with everything I got. But what's got to stop happening in the church is where the people think they know. And when they don't get what they want, they pick up and they go somewhere else and they think they're going to find it somewhere out there. 
And they keep hopping and shopping, becoming useless, sending a message to the world. When you don't like something, you pick up and go somewhere else. When you don't like it, you pick up and go somewhere else. And why would anybody who doesn't know Christ want to be like that? See, that's the stuff I'm talking about. What does it mean to really empty ourselves to seek him in a world today because the evangelical church is on a decline? So we've got to rethink this. What does it mean to serve our community? What does it mean for people to see God's people in love with one another because they're in love with him and therefore they show the love to them? What does that look like? I'm desperate to know. I don't want to keep doing what we've always done because we're going to keep getting what we've always got and that right now is in a decline. But I don't think God's given up on his bride. I think he still loves his church. And I think it's time for the church to just rethink what does that look like. So I'm going to read you a passage. We're going to look at one that's most often, if you will, around Easter time. But I contend, if you will, that Easter's supposed to be every day. He's risen, people. We don't come together to celebrate that once a year. We can celebrate that every day, every moment, every second, all the time. Amen? Amen. He is alive. Matthew 26, beginning in the 36th verse, look what it says. Then Jesus went with his disciples. Now we assume that with the 11, Judas has already exited the scene, if you will. But the fact of the matter is we don't know. And I think it would be wrong for us to assume that all 11 at this moment are in the picture. But we do know it was more than just three. And you'll see this in a moment. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane means the oil press, which I find it very interesting that Jesus is getting ready to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And he's going to be going to a place that's known for probably the most, if you will, horrific. If you you were in oil, all right, if you were being turned into oil, what a press looks like. I've seen one back in the day. And so Jesus went with his disciples to a place called the press. And he said to them, sit. I fear this is where we listened. Sit here while I go over there. I don't know about you, but wherever Jesus goes, I want to be there. But now watch. Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him. So we know he told some to sit and he's going to take three with him to sort of an inner part of Gethsemane. This is the third time that he would do this with Peter, James, and John. If you know what I'm talking about, the first time he would set this aside was at the mountain of the transfiguration, which he would show them what his death would look like in his glory. He took James, Peter, and John. He would do it a second time, and I already preached this just a few weeks ago, when he went into the inner room to Jairus' house where his little daughter was dead. And he would take them in and show them his power over death, and a little girl would come back to life. Here's the third time as Jesus is preparing for his death. And so he tells the disciples to sit, But then he says, you three come with me. I want to pause here for a moment. And church, this is a very important thing that I want you to catch. 
Because I think some of you have made a decision and you need to rethink it. I don't want to be one of his disciples where he says, you sit. I want to be one of his disciples that he takes. Let me say that again. I don't want to be a church where he says, you just sit while I'll go over here. Because I think that's what most in America have been doing. Jesus said what? Many are called, but few are. I want to be one of the chosen. I don't want to sit. I want him to take me with him. And so he takes Peter, James, and John. And here's what he says. Watch this. He began to fear sorrowful and troubled. And he says to them, my soul is overwhelmed and sorrowful to the point of death. By the way, if you like to write in your Bibles, you might want to write down Genesis 6, verses 6 through 7. This is that moment that God said, I'm sorry I even made man. My heart is so anguished. Six chapters into the Bible, and man has done about everything they can to blow it. This is right before he would choose Noah to build an ark. This is the same sorrow that Jesus is feeling in that moment. God said in Genesis 6, I'm sorry I made man. His heart is broken. That's what the Bible says. His heart was broken. And he said, I will wipe them from the face of the earth. And Jesus is now going to become the fulfillment of that. That he would be the only answer and hope. This is what Jesus is feeling. He tells his disciples, my heart, my heart is broken. It's overwhelmed. It's sorrowful to the point of death. Stay here, he says, and keep what? Watch. Stay here and keep watch. Stay here and keep watch. Set up shop. Build your lodge. Stick your feet in concrete. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. The original translation says he fell on his face at the ground. And he says this, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them. He returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. He returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Luke tells us that these three, when they saw Jesus just go a stone's throw away, he says, it appears that he's sweating blood. Talk about an intense moment. And he informed them, you are to sit here and keep watch. And they hear him cry to his father. And when he returns, they're sleeping. They're sleeping. Real quickly, I want you to go to Mark 13, and I just want to show you something. Mark 13, if you want to follow with me, verse 32. 
Mark 13, verse 32, Jesus is again preaching. But out the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. He's talking about his return. Be on guard, he says, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servant in charge, each with an assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, he says, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows. Isn't that interesting? Or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you. What? Sleeping. Do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. 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 And Jesus, in the most significant moment, he has told them that his heart is grieved. He explains how deep his heart is grieved and troubled. They not only hear it, but they see it as blood dripping from his forehead. And they hear him pray. And when he comes back, they're sleeping. They're sleeping. By the way, just so you know, this should have been as customary as breathing for them. Let me give you a quick piece of history. In Jewish tradition, during the Passover, the men stayed up late into the night. So often we excuse them. Well, they were tired. They shouldn't have been. They'd done this many times before. Scholars tell us it only can be roughly around 10, 11 o'clock at night. And yet if you were to go back to Jerusalem or in any other Jewish community, the men would have been sitting around fires talking about the stories of God's redeeming work back in Egypt. This was as common as ever. And yet the Bible says they were sleeping. And the word sleep is not that they dozed off. It's where we get the word dead. These guys are shot. They're tired. And I think it's true in our world today. We're tired of COVID. We're tired of isolation. We're tired of kids taking their lives we're tired of families being torn apart. We're tired. But what we should be doing is keeping watch. But I fear we're sleeping. I fear we're sleeping. Instead of being God's bride, we're backing off. We're pushing it off to the next generation. We're somehow thinking it's someone else's problem. And yet the church is the hope of the world, folks. He returned and found them sleeping. He says, couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? And yet I have people who claim to love Jesus complaining about the service going longer than an hour. It's interesting, isn't it? Somehow God's impressed that you gave him an hour. And if it goes longer, then I'll find a different church where it only goes an hour. But I don't know in the Bible where you're supposed to find a church. My Bible says we're supposed to be the church. What you do here means nothing if it isn't lived out there, people. It means nothing. 
He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Isn't that what the prophet said? Not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, says the Lord. He went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it not possible, don't want you to miss this, this cup be taken away unless I drink it. So first he says, would you take the cup? Now he says this, if I'm the only one who can drink it, and so be it. Let me explain to you what's going on here. See, in Roman world, of which Jesus is living, the cup was used for only two reasons, for celebration, the victory in battle, or for execution. See, the way that they executed the Jews was, one of the ways was that they would line them up. And the one who seemed to talk the most is the one that would be first in line they would hand him a cup of poison which would elicit unbelievable amounts of physical pain before you would die. And the way it worked was this. If the first one really cared about the rest in line, many times they'd put the man of the family next to his wife and his kids. If he had a heart and the courage and the compassion, he would drink it all. If he couldn't, though he would die, it would be passed to next in line. History tells us almost every time it was passed to the next one in line. Sometimes they wouldn't have to drink it if they would go ahead and pass it next in line. And many did that, and I fear the church is doing that too. What Jesus is saying is, give me the cup. I have the heart, I have the courage, and I have the compassion. No one will drink it but me. No one. And Jesus lived that one out. If it not I, then it can be no one else. But look what happens. When he came back a second time, he again found them what? Sleeping. Sleeping. Because their eyes were heavy. Read the next four words with me. So he left them. Do you realize the second time he doesn't even wake them up? So he left them. And I just want to stop there. Because I don't want to die full of crap. I want to die full of ship. And I want to show you what I'm talking about. So if you have your notes, take them out. Here's the first thing that God wants us full of. It's called lordship. Amen to that? You see, now all of a sudden you're breathing a little bit better, aren't you? <laughs> all right? See, I don't want the church to be full of what Keith Loy thinks it is. I want to be what God wants Keith Loy to be. I want to be the church that he laid his life down for. Not the church that I've known, but the church that is known. The church that God wants it to be in our world today. Why would anyone in Sioux Falls want to come to this church? And if you want to point and blame everyone else, someday you're going to have to look in the mirror and ask yourself this. I am the church. 
Am I living a life that someone would want to come to Jesus? Because you can blame all you want, but you will answer to God for everybody he put around you. See, that, that lies the problem in this world right now. Because church people, they tend to want to point and point and point. But they don't realize that you will answer for everybody God put around you. You're not living where you're living because you had a good deal on a house. God's bigger than that. You're living where you're living because your neighbors matter to him. You're working where you're working, not because it's a job and you need, need money. God's bigger than that. You're working where you're working because there's people here that Jesus loves so much that he wants them to know him and he's using you to get to him. Are you full of lordship? Let me help you with it. One of the greatest minds of the time was Albert Einstein. Story has it that one time while taking the train to speak engagement, he was sitting in his seat engrossed in his work when the conductor came up to punch his ticket. Looking up in shock, Einstein realized he had no idea what he had done with it. Frantically, he began searching his coat pockets, then his briefcase to no avail. The conductor, knowing who he was, calmly put his hand on his shoulder and says, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. I'm pretty sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. As he moved up the aisle, he looked back only to see Einstein on his hands and knees searching for his ticket. Thus, he walked back to Dr. Einstein and said, Sir, please, do not worry yourself. I know who you are. Exasperated, Einstein looked up and said, I too know who I am. I just don't know where I'm going. But I contend, that's the story of a lot of people. See, I want to help you understand something. So many people have no idea where they're going because they have no idea who they are. That's why they get up in the morning and that's why some of you right now are more concerned about the stock market. I could care less. What if it completely goes bankrupt? <laughs> I know in whom I hope, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard that which I've entrusted into him until that day. The stock market doesn't determine my identity. The one who owns the stock market does. See, the reason some of you get up because you're still, you have no idea where you're going what you do determines who you are. Who I know determines who I am. I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to catch this, because it's in the Bible. Look what it says in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Notice the first key step, the starting point in life. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him Finish it with me. And he shall direct your paths. I don't need to know where I'm going. I already know who I am. That's why the Bible says the word of God's a light unto your path. It's a lamp unto your feet. You just take the next step, Keith. I'm the Lord God. I'm with you. I will never fail you. I will never leave you. 
I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. Over and over, the Bible tells us those promises. That's what lordship's all about. It's about true identity in Christ. You remember three weeks ago when Pastor Carmen, by the way, who I thought did a fabulous job, begged the question, are you all in? Remember that? And he likened it to poker. Y'all remember that? If you, didn't, if, you didn't, if you weren't here, you should go back and listen to it. It was a fabulous message. And, uh, but he talked about the fact that, that, that in poker, you always get to those moments in five-card stud where someone will push them all over, right, and go, I'm all in. True? I'm all in. Yeah. Texas hold, sorry. There's always the one out there. You must be a good gambler. Anyway, um, so uh, <laughs> I didn't, anyway. Um, but you get, I'm all in. And yet Carmen said this, but God knows you're not. You know how many people, I've been here 22 years. You know how many people have said, man, you can count on me, pastor. I'm like, well, obviously I can't. Obviously, you were determining what could be counted on. You should have told me those rules up front. You can count on me unless you hurt my feelings. You can count on me unless I don't get what I like. You can count on me unless the music is what I like. You can count on me. I've heard those words forever. But it doesn't really matter what you said to me. I'm telling you, I know a lot of people who say, God, you can count on me, but they've got a chip in their pocket. And God knows about the chip because the Bible says what? Nothing is in secret. God knows, God knows that he doesn't have your money. Then you stop and go, oh, now he does. But I'm all in, God. He's like, no, you're not. I know about that addiction. Oh, but I'm all in now, God. No, you're not. Because I know it's all about you. You don't serve anywhere. You don't have time because what you do is more important. And yet I already told you, you're most like me when you're serving other people. But everything you do has a price to it. Oh, you can count on me. I'm all in. And God's like, no, you're not. See, you'll never experience the fullness of Christ if you have just even a few chips. What chip are you holding on to? You don't trust him. What is it? Because God knows. See, all in is all in. And let me tell you something about Jesus is a little bit different than our world. 99% effort is 100% all out. Because Jesus said, I'll serve no other gods. You will have no other gods but me. You don't say you trust me, but there's no but in God. All in. Die to self. You're not pronounced dead if there's still a heartbeat. And there's no resurrection unless God has a corpse. Let me say it again. You're not pronounced dead if there's a heartbeat, even if it's a real quiet, 
long heartbeat. And God can't resurrect your life unless you're a corpse. When you die to self, that's the miracle of Jesus. What your chip? What's the chip you're holding on to? Lordship says he has all the chips. Amen to that? He is all in. Listen to the words of Ian Thomas. In the mystery of godliness, his book, he says, the Christian life can be explained only in the terms of Jesus Christ. The Christian life can only be explained only in the terms of Jesus Christ. Thus, if your life as a Christian can still be explained in your terms, your personality, your willpower, your gifts, your talents, your money, your courage, your scholarship, your dedication, your sacrifice, your anything, here's what he says. Although you may have the Christian life, you're not living it. But he's actually putting that in question because I want you to listen to what he goes on to write. It is only when the quality of your life baffles the neighbors that you're likely to impress them. It has got to become patently obvious to others that the kind of life you are living is not only highly commendable, but it is beyond human explanation. It's beyond the consequences of man's capacity to imitate. And however little they may understand this, it is clearly the consequence only of God's capacity to reproduce himself in you. In a nutshell, this means that your fellow man must become convinced that the Lord Jesus Christ of whom you speak is essentially himself the ingredient of the life you now live. Amen to that? That's what Paul said in Romans. This is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up! Just like he said to the disciples, can you not keep watch? Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothing and put on the shining armor of living right. Let me ask it this way. How can the spirit of God that can move a mountain, walk on water, part the same, make the blind person see and the deaf one hear, reside in you, and yet there's little or no identifiable change. How can it be? Until Jesus is enough, nothing else will be. This is why we've got to rethink through all of our crap of what it means to be a follower of Jesus so we can be full of his lordship. Amen to that? Here's number two, fellowship. Say it with me, fellowship. If you know it, you can sing it with me. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. Okay, all right, okay. It's they pray that our unity would one day be restored, right? And they'll know we are Christians by our love. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. You know, I read about a young father who heard a bunch of commotion out in the backyard. He looked outside to see his youngest daughter and several of her neighborhood friends in a heated quarrel. He opens up the door and says, what are you doing? His daughter simply smiled and said, we're playing church, dad. And I wonder if that's true. I heard it said that people don't fight for the church anymore. They fight in the church. And it's true. Just go to the internet. But as the song says, 
We're supposed to work with each other and work side by side. We're supposed to walk with each other and walk hand in hand. We're supposed to worship with each other and worship heart to heart. And they'll know that we are Christians by our love. They'll know we are Christians by our love. I've said it many times in our membership class and I love saying it again. The best definition of fellowship I've ever heard are two fellows in the same ship. I love that. My wife and I have had the privilege to be on a ship with other people. And one of the things I love about it is, is every time that we pay whatever they ask, we already know where it's going. I've never been on a ship yet with thousands of other people and we're out in the Caribbean and someone says, I can't wait to see the glaciers tomorrow up in Alaska. Everybody on the ship would say, dude, you're on the wrong ship. Two fellows in the same ship. And that's what Jesus said. Love one another as I have loved you. Think about that. Do you love other people in the church the way God loves you? Which by the way, I think it might be the reason why some people don't want to follow Jesus because they watch how you and I love one another. But Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you for this is how the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So here's my question. Don't shout it out. Don't have to answer. I'm just asking. Do you love others? Can I get more specific? Which others? Are you still picking and choosing? Or did Jesus decide that for you? Is there someone right now that you don't love? And it's okay to admit that. God already knows it. But to confess it is so important. And say, God, heal my heart of that. I want to love them the way you love me. And the world will know that we are his disciples. It's what Paul wrote in Romans 13. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation. Your obligation to love one another. If you love one another, you will fulfill all the requirements of God's holy law. This is why we've got to rethink through all of our crap about forgiveness and bitterness so we can be full of his fellowship. Amen to that? All right. I got one last one, but I want you to look at the screen. Watch this. Church, we're at war. We're at war. We're to be a battleship. Frederick Nietzsche, of all people, said the secret for harvesting from existence, the greatest fruitfulness and the greatest enjoyment is to live dangerously. Build your cities on the slope of Vesuvius and send your ships into unexplored seas. And yet it seems like we're sporting flip-flops today in the church, carefree and comfortable, sometimes standing on our ship's deck, looking over and watching people getting eaten by sharks, almost as if they're part of the entertainment. And then we turn to our Christian brother and say, hey, want to play some more shuffleboard? See, when I die, I want all of hell to celebrate. When I die, I want all of hell to celebrate because I'm no longer in the fight. How about you? How about you, really? 
How about you? This is why I think we need to rethink through all of our crap about what we think the church is. It's worth the effort to rethink. We might land in this exact same place, but I only want to because that's where the Lord led. See, I, I want to think through. I'm willing to risk and, and look at you and stand up here in the weeks ahead and say, guys, for 22 years, I need to beg for your forgiveness because I was wrong the way I led you. I will be more honored and humbled to be able to do that, that we can press forward to something greater because it's God's wife, not mine. But I'm willing to risk it because lost people matter and eternity is in the balance. This is why we need to rethink. We need to literally rethink what does it mean to be his church. I want to invite the team to the stage as they come. Here's what I fear. When Jesus came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy, so he left them. Can we not keep watch? I don't want to be the disciples he said sit. I want to be the ones he chooses and takes with him. But I want to keep watch. I'll say it again. We have to think through all of the crap if we're going to be full of his ship. Some of the bull crap of unforgiveness and bitterness, some of it of what we think, what's in it for me. The church ain't in it for you. You don't go to a church to what you get. That's got to change, people. Why do you go to this church? I like the music. Who cares? See, why don't you be honest then? Because I call that dishonesty. Walk in the door, stand up and say, I'm going somewhere else. I hate the music. But don't sit here and do nothing and then think your job is to get as close as you can to Chris and then try to whisper in his ear all the wings you think need to be done different. And then when you don't get your way, you just walk out the door telling everybody you can't count on me. See, that stuff's got to stop. That man there loves Jesus with everything he's got. Does he make mistakes? Yes. Does he walk on water? No. But he loves the one who does. And I love this man. I wouldn't trade him for anyone in the world because his heart wants to just honestly worship Jesus. He loves the Lord with everything he's got. Please hear this. Do I like some of the songs he picks? No. No. Is that true? No. But what I've discovered is most of the time, the ones I don't like are actually the ones that God wanted. And that's why he hears me ever talk very little about the music, do I? I just like Chris, man, you love Jesus and you've got an incredible team. We just need to worship. And he seeks first the kingdom. See, it's not about me. It's not about him. It's about he. And if we get it wrong, I think God's okay with it because our hearts are in the right place. See, we've got to get rid of that. We've got to get rid of all the crap of what we think the church should be or what we want it to be. And you know, there's an answer. And I want to help you with this. It's one word. It's one word. It's a word that's seldom used today. It's a word that's been misunderstood in many ways. Does anybody know what the word is? 
repent. It's repent. I'm not talking about an apology. God doesn't want to hear our apologies. I'm not talking sorry because God doesn't want to hear that we're sorry. You know why? He sent his son because he knows we're sorry. He didn't want to hear it. It's not escapeology. It's actually the word eschatology. Do you know what that is? The end times. It's when we die and we're face to face with Jesus. And we look him in the eye. And we actually hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Repentance. The first act of grace and the final act of it as well. I think C.S. Lewis says it best, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs to get improvement. (laughs) He's a rebel who must lay down his arms. Laying down your arms, surrendering, saying you are sorry, realizing that you've been on the wrong track and getting ready to start life over again from the ground floor. That is the only way out of our hole. Now repentance is no fun at all. It is something much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means unlearning all the self-conceit and all the self-will that we've been training ourselves into for thousands of years. You ready for this? God doesn't even want a change of heart. He wants an exchange of heart. Our hearts are wicked. There's nothing good in it. That's what the prophet says. He doesn't want our heart. He wants that to go to the crucifixion and die. He wants to exchange our heart for his heart and give us a right heart, his heart, the only heart. See, that's what repentance is. It's all in. And God, wherever there's a chip in my pocket, you you show it to me as fast as you can. You reveal it to me because I'm going to surrender it. I just want to be all in, God. I want to be all in. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn. Do you know what the word turn is? Repent. And turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. This is God's people and obviously there can be wickedness in us. Let me tell you what's going to happen for the next 11 weeks. For seven weeks you heard about it that we're going to have prayer It's going to be seven weeks of prayer. Each week, a new focus will be sent out via email and our church app. I would encourage you to get our app and download it on your phone because each day at 1212, no kidding, you want to turn, you want to get your app and then turn your notification on. Romans 1212 says this, let your hope keep you joyful, be patient in your troubles and pray at all times. And so tomorrow at 12:12, your phone will go off. And what we're asking you is to stop, drop, and pray. Stop, drop, and pray. See, I, I'm not, I am more impressed by other religions than I am even Christianity, to be honest with you. I've been in airports and watch people of other faiths that the church wants to do this to. But you can count on them three times a day. They will turn themselves 
prayer no matter where they're at. They actually believe more in God than most people that call themselves Christians probably do. I'm asking us, get your app, put it on your phone, turn your notifications on every day at 12-12, your phone will go off. And we're just asking you to stop, drop, and pray. This Saturday, we're doing exponential. I wish this room was full, packed full. Every one of you'd come all day Saturday morning because we do this is our third time. and It's been life transforming about what it really means to be the church. And you're going to hear from other speakers and they're short, six to eight, nine minutes long. And the discussions around the table have been life transforming. After church today, we're doing a barbecue. Doesn't cost you anything. We're just asking you to stick around. At five o'clock today, we're going to have our first Sunday evening service, if you will, because we're going after people who are gone all weekend. We know they got lake homes. We're not here to battle that. We're just saying, hey, how about we provide for you? And you come to church on your way back into town, and it's going to be a total different service than this one because we really want to meet them and understand where they're coming from and they're coming here. But this is a small thing. This is a small thing of where we're going as a church. By the end of this series, it's my hope to, to completely draw the picture of what it means to be the church, of what I see God's taking us and moving us in our world today. And so that's what's gonna happen for the next 11 weeks. Next week, we're gonna put on the stage a true physical, unbelievable example of how God takes something so painful and turns it into promise. Then we're gonna rethink about what it means to know who God is. We're gonna rethink about what sin really is. And then we're gonna walk into what it means to be the church. And we're just gonna unfold this all summer long as we get ready to go in the fall. I believe that God wants to come back and find his church watching and waiting and saying, let's go. I don't want to be asleep. I fear that in some ways we have been, but it's time. Is it not church? It's time. I don't want to be the ones who said, I want to be the ones he chooses. Amen. So here's how I want to close. Every week, you're going to get a card. When you walk out the doors today, you're going to get a card. Every way we can, I want you to be reminded. We want you to put this on the dash of your car. Maybe you need to put it on the mirror in your bathroom. Take as many as you want. You can put them all over the place. Put them in your pocket. Put it on your desk at work. But the word this week is repent. Please hear this. I'm going to say something. Some of you will laugh, but I'm being very serious. You know why I want it in the dashboard? So when the light turns green... And you've developed a pattern to be mad at the person who didn't see it. You'll look down at your dash and go, God, please forgive me. See, if we don't learn to have a broken heart, a repentive heart, we're never going to experience what it means to have a redemptive one. Every week, I'm going to give you a word. Every week. But I want to pray right now. I want to pray for you. And I'm asking everybody to bow their head. God, what is the chip in someone's pocket right now. It might be one, two, could be three. They know what it is. 
They know where that fear has gripped their life. They know what it is that they've been holding on to. Maybe a spouse had walked out on their marriage. They don't want to let go and forgive. I'm not saying that they haven't been hurt deeply. I can't imagine. But it's time to cash the chip in. It's time to push it out on the table and say, I'm all in. Someone here might have the secrecy of an addiction. It's time to come clean. We have an incredible ministry in this church of people who'd love to walk with them. It's time. God, it could be when it comes to their finances, could be when it comes to serving. They have every excuse in the book and it's a chip they're holding on to. But it's time to repent, truly repent. We need repentance. God, I want to be a church that truly wants to be walking with you. God, I don't know how to always lead that well. I'm begging of you in this whole series. I, I pray that nothing I said today was to try to put anybody on the defense. If it was received that way, God, I would beg for you to move in and erase that from their heart and their mind. It's not my heart at all. God, I want to be your church. That we would love you with everything that we have all in. And by doing so, we would love one another in ways we've never even experienced before. And then by doing that, we're loving the world unconditionally. God, I believe this is the greatest series we'll have ever done because it's not a teaching, preaching series. It's the heart of who we are and who we want to be. But it starts with ourselves. It starts with everyone in this room individually repenting. Repenting. Truly repenting their heart before you. And saying, God, I'm all in. I'm all in. I want to die to myself. I just want to be resurrected in you. I'm all in. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.